0: So uh, we have been going through the book of Matthew, specifically we're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 through 7, and the topic this morning is is three words, lust, adultery, and divorce. (laughs) No one, three things no one wants to talk about. Um, And so, you know, I'm well aware of that, and it's okay, right? I'm not going to be gross. And I think think it's, um, I don't know, I've been laughing about this this morning, is that we can probably all are, if we're honest, a little thankful that we're not in person, so there's less direct eye contact. But but anyway, I shouldn't say this thing, um, but no one's here to stop me. So um, those are the topics this morning. I wanna say a couple of things about them before we get into the text, okay? Um, I, I realize that no one really wants to talk about these things, but they're actually, that's a reason to talk about them, okay? because the reason we don't wanna talk about them is that there's a lot of shame that gets connected with those three words, lust, adultery, and divorce, and a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misinformation, and a lot of embarrassment, and so we don't talk about these things, and so we continue on being bound by the things we've been through and the mistakes we've made, right? And so I want to do i just want to follow what jesus is doing here okay so number one i'm going to stick to the verses in matthew this morning next week uh because i'm going to open a can of worms especially regarding the topic of divorce okay because jesus here in matthew is talking about a specific case a specific issue regarding divorce he doesn't go into kind of he doesn't do a full treatment of the subject okay I'm gonna do that next week, all right? This morning, though, I'm gonna open the can of worms and just talk about what Jesus talks about here in Matthew, and then next week, we'll kinda of come back and we'll sort out some of the, the questions that are gonna come up, okay? Um, and, and by the way, I don't think this was any different in Jesus' day. I think he, he wasn't trying to do a complete treatment of the topic. He wants us, I think, to sit under the weight of the thing, in this case, lust and divorce and adultery, um, so that we can really be impacted by the reality he's teaching. He's never quick to balance everything, at least on the first pass. He just does this a lot. I don't know if you've noticed. He'll say something extreme, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. He'll say something extreme, and he'll let you kind of sit there and, and be hit by the weight of it. And then he comes back sometimes, sometimes he doesn't, but sometimes later comes back and kind of helps you helps Lisa's disciples walk through it. So that's kind of my approach here. So he's never quick to balance things. Divorce is serious, so it's good that you wrestle with it a little bit. Okay, I'm not just going to give you a quick escape hatch this morning. Um, just know that I am coming back to it next week. Um, secondly, I'm really, really aware this morning of how many people have been impacted by divorce either you were divorced from or you did the divorcing or it was a mutual thing even if from your perspective the divorce was relatively mutual and easy it's still painful because scripture says that the two become flesh that when you become when you get married you become like intertwined you're like one not really one person but you have been put together like stitched together. And in order to be pulled apart, there's tearing and there's pain involved. And so it's always painful. Even if it's the least painful up kind of divorce, it's still painful. And so I'm, ta- I'm not talking in a vacuum here. And these are just people I know of in our church. And then if you add on to that, the people just out there in the, on the Internet, maybe somebody's searching or they're thinking about divorce and they land here the numbers are astronomical. It's probably half of you or more have gone through this. And so I want to just encourage you to to, kind of take an approach of letting, just trusting the Scripture, trusting Jesus, these are His words, trusting Jesus and what He says above all else. And don't allow yourself to shift into a defensive posture. Instead, just let Him speak to you, even if it's hard news, and then trust his redemption, okay? Trust that if you, re- if you sin and repent, right? If you repent of your sin, he forgives you. He's faithful, okay? There's redemption for you. And so don't avoid the topic, all right? And so I'm going to get into it. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 27 to 30. We'll read 31 and 32 in a minute. We'll just start here For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell, okay? So just like we've already seen before, Jesus establishes what they have already been taught from the law and the prophets. He always starts with this phrase, you've heard it said or you have been taught. And so what he's doing, this is really important to understand what Jesus is doing, is he's addressing something in their heads, something that they think, something that they believe, something that they have been taught that's either wrong or it's incomplete or it needs to be intensified by Jesus. is quite often what he does in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And so he's not just going back to the law and saying this is what the law says. He's starting with you've been taught this, you believe this, you think this, and it's either wrong or it's incomplete. And I'm gonna help you with that. That's what Jesus is doing. So the words here, lustful intent, are really important because it's strongly related to covetousness, which makes perfect sense when you think about it. This is a desire to possess what does not belong to you in a sexual sense. So we're not talking about normal attraction between men and women in normal life, okay? Lust and the temptation to lust are different things, okay? This is the embracing of lustful thoughts in the mind. This is adultery of the imagination, okay? This probably also includes the intent to seduce or draw another person into lusting after you, okay? And they kind of go together. So the literary framework is the same here as we saw with anger. That helps us understand what Jesus is after here. Remember last week we talked about anger and murder, right? You can't say if you... Well, I've never murdered anyone, therefore I'm a righteous person. Jesus won't let us be self-righteous. He says, well, you have anger in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. Same idea here with lust and adultery. So there's two points. One is those who want to relax the demands of the law and say that it no longer applies because of Jesus are wrong. You can't say, well, Jesus died for me, so it doesn't matter what I do or what I put my eyes on and what I don't. Secondly, he's saying those who are self-righteous because they have not committed adultery yet are unconcerned about the sin from which adultery springs. Those people are also in sin and need to repent, okay? So nobody gets to say sin doesn't matter and also nobody gets to say I'm righteous because I haven't done that or I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not an adulterer, therefore I get off scot-free.
1: And he says, no, 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 you've got lust in your heart. Same thing with anger and murder, right? So I think this this brings up an obvious topic that in our
0: culture that's really important that we need to talk about, which is the problem of pornography. When you start thinking about, well, does the world have a lust problem? <laughs> I don't think you have to look far to understand and realize that. Not only does the world around us have a massive lust problem, but the church has a lust problem. The body of Christ, we are not exempt from this problem. Um, I looked at some statistics. Um, I won't do there, there's so many statistics that we could go into, and I don't want to go down into the gutter. I'm not going to go into the gutter. But I think there's some important ones to kind of wake us up about this issue. Because I think a lot of us think it's not a, as big of a problem as it is. Okay, so let me just read some stats to you. of 11 to 13 year olds, 65% of 14 to 15 year olds, and 78% of 16 to 17 year olds reported having seen pornography in some way, meaning that's been shown or sent to them by someone else or they've searched for it or stumbled upon it somewhere on the internet, it's a lot. In the same study, girls in particular mentioned using pornography to learn how to meet boys' expectations. 28,258 users are watching pornography every second. Now this study goes back to, I think it's 2005. So this is an old study. It's by far worse than that now. $3,075.64 is spent on porn every second on the internet every second, (laughs) how much money that is, every second. 88% of scenes in porn films contains acts of physical aggression, and 49% of scenes contain verbal aggression. And we wonder why we have a problem in this country with aggression towards women. One in five youth pastors. Here's the church stats. One in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and are currently struggling. That's more than 50,000
1: U.S. church leaders. That should bother us a little bit. This is not just a problem
0: out there. It's a problem in here. 64% of Christian men and 15% Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. I know that number for women has gone up quite a bit since this study. The United States accounts for nearly 50% of all IP addresses engaging in peer-to-peer file sharing of child pornography images. The United
1: States accounts for half of the IP addresses that are sharing child pornography on the internet. There's much more data out there, but that should wake us up a little bit,
0: right? That what Jesus is talking about here is not some old ancient problem that the Israelites had that he was addressing there that's isolated from us, nor is it a problem that's out in the world and not in the church. It is a serious issue that we need to address. And though nobody wants to talk about it, we got to talk about it. Okay, so... So I think this topic, these verses that Jesus is talking about, is connected to the next, which is having to do with divorce, because it's a particular issue regarding divorce. So we're going to look at that, and then we're going to talk about how how to get out of this problem, okay?
1: Let's look at verses 31 and 32. You'll see how this connects in just a minute. He says, it was also
0: said, so there's the also. I think that means... This is connected to what he just said, okay? So it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, so let me help you with this. It's been very well established that at this time, uh, women didn't have the power to divorce their husbands. It was incredibly rare. Husbands had the power to divorce their wives for just about any reason they could come up with including like overcooking the dinner. Making a tiny little like error or mistake a husband could then get the papers he needed to legally divorce his wife which meant throwing her out of the house onto the street making her homeless and destitute. A divorced woman In that culture was a homeless woman without recourse. So this was a common thing at the time and it was a way for a man to satisfy his lust for other women and to do it under the under a kind of bogus legality to be able to say well it's legal because I've found some kind of loophole or we've created a loophole for me to be able to jump from woman to woman to woman to woman in my life and do it legally and still be able to hold my head high and consider myself righteous and go to the temple and worship and act like everything's fine. Meanwhile, you've got a trail of women behind you that have been abused and thrown out of your house, all because you had a little piece of paper, okay? So Jesus is saying that just because you filled out a piece of paper doesn't mean that God honors your divorce, right? If God brought you together, if God knitted you together, made you one flesh, it takes God to separate you, okay? And he's confronting this issue in the culture at the time of just wanting like free divorce by men, God made them one flesh, and only God can separate them. Jesus is saying to the men who do this, God doesn't honor your piece of paper. Like, don't think because you got a piece of paper that God's totally cool with it. That's not how this works. That's not how God works. You aren't divorced until he says you're divorced. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus then gives a reason for divorce that God would honor, which is sexual immorality. I'll get more into that topic next week. It's one of the can of worms I'm opening this morning. But I believe the point here has to do with the man using bogus divorce papers to satisfy his own lusts in a way that allows him to claim to also be a keeper of the law. And Jesus is actually defending the powerless woman who has been made destitute by his lustful, rebellious, sinful
1: actions against her. I think that's what this is about. So how do we get free from this? Because we can't just
0: make it about pornography, okay? Because you could say, to use Jesus' words, that, you know, you have heard it said, don't use pornography. But I tell you, if you look at a woman or a man with lustful intent, then you have used pornography in your heart, right? The issue is not, because here's the problem. As soon as you bring up something like pornography or adultery, all the people who don't have a problem with that start to feel self-righteous. Well, look look at how great I am. I don't have a problem with that. Or I used to have a problem with it, and now I don't. Therefore, I'm totally cool. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Just like anger and murder,
1: just like adultery and lust, okay? It's the same thing. So let me give you, I think, about three points about dealing with this in your own life. So I can tell you from my own experience
0: struggling with this issue in the past, that freedom begins with ridding yourself of your self-righteous excuse-making. Okay? That's where you start. You stop doing that thing that Jesus is rebuking us for by saying, well, I'm not that bad. I could be worse. Right? You stop doing that. And you own own it. You acknowledge it. It's called, that's what confession is, is acknowledging what God says about your sin. Jesus actually says that if it it would solve the problem, which it wouldn't, cutting off your hands and gouging out your eyes would be worth it to rid yourself of lust. Right? Now, that wouldn't solve the problem because the problem isn't in your eye problem isn't in your hand. What Jesus is saying is you got to get radical. You got to get it's that serious. It's such a serious problem. Like imagine if your hand was infected and it was killing you. Your doctor would say, "Well, if we can't stop the infection, we got to take the hand off." Why? Because I'd rather you live and lose your hand. Right? Living is better than losing your hand. And that's Jesus's point. But it's that serious. It's It's that level of importance in your life, right? The fundamental problem is not pornography. It's not your surroundings. It's not the culture. It's not the internet. It's not the problem. The problem, fundamentally, at the root of it, is the lust in our heart.
1: So knowing that, is there any of us that have not sinned in this way? I don't think there is.
0: No one gets out of this alive. <laughs> no one gets out of this scot-free. No one gets to say, well, I don't have that problem. Because everybody
1: at one point or another has looked at a someone else with lustful intent. There's only one that's innocent. And this is the other big point. Only one is without sin, and his name is
0: Jesus. Our only hope is to have his perfect righteousness applied to our guilt, right? Because Jesus is is being very careful to back us into a corner and say, nobody's righteous, not one of us. You don't just get to, to stand there and say, well, I'm okay because I haven't done this, that, and the other. He says, We're, none of us are righteous except for
1: one, and that's Him. And so we need His righteousness, not ours. Ours won't cut it. So this is what you have to come to grips with first. Before you do anything else, you've got to come to grips with that truth,
0: that reality. At whatever level of bondage you're in, or whatever you have done or haven't done, you've got to come to grips with that truth. And then secondly, (coughs) telling a trusted friend about your problem, (coughs) excuse me, confession, right? Getting rid of your, doing the radical things. I I call it like the cutting off your hand, gouging out your eye stuff, right? These are are, are grace-filled legalisms that you impose on yourself to help protect you, right? To insulate yourself a little bit, just like an alcoholic would not just hang out at the ABC store, okay? So you get radical, you get serious, you get radical about fighting sin, okay? Because you're taking Jesus seriously, and you're taking his redemption seriously. You're not trying to earn your salvation, you're just taking his righteousness seriously in your life, right? And so you, that's, that's when you, you're, you're doing things like telling your friend, I've got a problem with this, I've got a problem with that. This is my issue, and you're confessing it as much in detail, telling them, hey, look, will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you keep me accountable? Will you continue to help me and support me and walk through this with me? Get rid of your computer if you have to. Lock down your phone. Get software on your phone, software on your computer. If you can't get rid of your phone and can't get rid of your computer, get software on it that will send a report to your friend, right, that tells them what you've been up to. It's helpful. Again, Cutting off your hand won't solve the problem, but it might help, (laughs) right? I mean mean that metaphorically. Don't literally cut your hand off. I hope no one out there is crazy enough to misunderstand that. Do not cut your hand off. But understand the metaphor. It's that serious. Um, This is all part of taking Jesus seriously, okay? Remember, we're not talking about trying to earn some kind of holiness points with jesus that's not what we're doing here what we're doing here is taking him seriously like being a disciple of his is that his spirit comes into us when we become a christian and immediately begins to convict us and and change us and make us holy to make us
1: grow into what god has already declared us to be all right that's what we're doing So remember the presence of Jesus is best
0: ministered to us through the physical presence of other Christians, and this is the power of confession. But we really want to stress this with you. It's a little hard this morning. It's the disadvantage of us not being in person is that I'm, by even talking about this, I'm creating some momentum for you, all right? Maybe you're sitting there right now being convicted, going, man, I got I to gotta do that. But there's no one in the room with you to talk to. And so here's what I want to suggest you do about this, that particular thing. is go ahead right now and text somebody, email somebody, reach out to somebody and say, I got to talk to you about this later, <laughs> right? So what you're doing is you're, you're using, taking the moment, maybe you're, you're, where your resistance is down and you're opening a door so that later you can go through it with somebody, okay? I just want to encourage you to do that if you're convicted right now. All right, that's because confession is powerful, because if you do that with another Christian, then that person has the Holy Spirit in them, which is the presence of Christ, and they can remind you of the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to you on top of your guilt to satisfy it, okay? You're not just alone in your shame, okay? Um, okay, thirdly, you must confront the lie in your imagination. I think this is hugely important. This is part of coming to grips with what Jesus is saying here. Lust is adultery of the imagination. That's, where, that's, that's part of what the heart is in Scripture. It involves your imagination. Lust and pornography is ultimately a lie that what you can't have is better than what you do have. It's covetousness. It's like a sexual covetousness. It's looking over the other side of the fence in the neighbor's field and going, I want that more than what I have. That's going to be better than what I have. It's wanting what you can't have. And you have to confront that lie that it's actually all of it is a lie. It's fake. It's not real. You are, in order to to lust or to use pornography, you have to dehumanize the person that you're lusting after. We need to reduce them to kind of some kind of soulless object made up of body parts to be consumed instead of a person created and loved by God who is in need of his rescue. You look at Jesus and the way he treated prostitutes. He had prostitutes in his group of friends. How did he do that? Because he didn't, he didn't dehumanize them. He saw them as human beings with the soul who were in desperate need of being rescued and redeemed, and he brought them redemption, okay? And that is one of the keys to dealing with this issue is the first thing that happens when you lust in your heart after someone else is they stop being a human being and you fight it. You fight lust by, rem- by looking and seeing people as Jesus sees them and not as Satan wants you to see them, right? This is an important key, and it's one of the things that will break this. If you have an addiction to this, it's one of the things that will break it, okay? It's one of the tools you can use um, in, in addition to the other stuff I've mentioned. All right. So lust is a deep problem, not just in the world, but also in the church. It destroys people, and quite often it's the root cause of divorce. Not always, but quite often it's at least one of the causes Of divorce And Jesus addresses one very specifically here in Matthew 5. Jesus is not going to let us say, well, I've never cheated on my spouse. I have heard people say that. Men who have done horrible things to their wives, wives who have done horrible things to their husbands, and then they'll say in their defense, well, I've never cheated. I could have. Right? Don't raise your hand if you've known someone that said that. And please don't raise your hand if you're the one that said it, right? I never cheated, therefore, I'm not that bad in my defense. And Jesus won't let us do that. That's self-righteousness. So I want to encourage you today to just take Jesus and his redemption of your soul seriously. Take it seriously. Make war on lust in your heart in the same way that you would make war on anger in your heart. Be radically aggressive against it. Rip tear and cut out things in your life that make it easy to sin in this way. Don't be bashful. Confess your sin one to another. Don't tolerate it in your own life. And be the kind of person that's easy to confess to. That's really important. Are you someone who is open and humble enough to be the kind of person that's easy to confess to? Or are you filled with self-righteousness about yourself so that other people are afraid to tell you that they've sinned and ask for your prayer. They're both terrible sins, right? The lust, the pornography, adultery, that's oh, terrible. We all know that, but also so is self-righteousness and self-righteousness is a barrier against other people confessing their sin. Don't tolerate any of it in your life. I promise you, men and women, there are people in your life right now that need a person to talk to about this. I promise you. It's a guarantee. The statistics are anywhere close to right. I guarantee you that's a problem that someone has. If you don't have it, someone else does. So I just want to encourage you this morning to come to Jesus. I'm going to pray for you right now. And here's what I want to, I want to I'm going to just receive, you. you receive the forgiveness of
1: Christ, okay? He died for this. He died for it. It's that important to him that he died for
0: it for you. But I also want you to take some action. Okay, so I'm going to pray for both. One, that you would receive forgiveness, like full, no shame forgiveness right now, but also that you would be motivated to have the courage to reach out to
1: someone and really do some whatever radical things you got to do to purge this out of your life. Amen? So I'm going to pray for you right now. God, I just pray right now, first of all, for
0: for those that just the word divorce coming up brings up a lot of painful thoughts and feelings. God, I pray right now that you would just minister your peace and your grace to them. God, that whatever you have to say to them about that topic, it's going to be for their good. God I pray that this week and next week would be a time of deep, serious, permanent healing and restoration. For people who have been through divorce, and also God, I pray for those that are um, just considering or even just in privately considering divorce in their own marriage, where their marriage is falling apart and they've been thinking about that. God that you would um, slow down that process and speak to them. God, I pray for your protection over every marriage represented right now on the people watching on this video. And God, also I pray for just over the issue of lust, whether it pertains to marriage, where it pertains to singles. God, everyone struggles on some level with this. God, would you bring your conviction, God, your Um, hope-filled, not-shaming conviction. God, that faith would enter into our hearts. God, that we are not bound. We are free in Christ. And we need His redemption to come into this area of our hearts and rescue us from it. God, I pray for courage, God, to get radical and serious about these issues in our hearts. God, that we would not be full of self-righteousness. God, that we would acknowledge that all of us are sinners. We have all sinned. We all have. No one is exempt. And God, I pray that we would this morning, we would receive your forgiveness. We would receive your encouragement. We would receive your grace this morning. God, we throw ourselves at your feet and we plead with you, Lord, would you change us, transform us this morning to be righteous holy people? God, that we would live up to and live into what you have declared about us in the righteousness of Christ, that Jesus is righteous and he has given us his righteousness. So, God, I pray that no one would be condemned this morning, but we would all throw ourselves to the feet of Jesus, that we would be changed. God, and I pray for courage to do whatever it takes to take that seriously this morning. I pray this in the name of your wonderful son, Jesus. Amen. All right. I love you guys. I miss seeing your faces, um, but I'm praying for you. And I hope
1: you guys have a great week. We'll see you next week right here at the same place. See ya.